Well, hello, my friends. Now, this is strange, isn't it? But these are strange times, and I suppose they will require of us some strange efforts in order to fulfill our purpose as a church and in ministry. Well, I've come to you to lead in Bible study today, if you're able to listen to this or perhaps view it. I've been reading a book that came out back in February, and it has been such a timely help to me as I have been praying and studying for my own spiritual growth and for pastoring our church family. The title of it is Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. And in the introduction, uh, in fact, the very first sentence, he says, there's a madness to our moment and we need to name it for the lunacy it is because it's taking our lives hostage. Now, at the time this book went to press, there was no coronavirus, or at least not, not heard of. But he goes on to mention a few things that are making your life crazy. The blistering pace of life. The deluge of media. The barrage of trauma that's being piped into your soul every day. Of course, with what's going on currently, maybe that uh, uh, blistering pace of life gets slowed down a little bit. But he summarizes all of it with this statement. The world has gone completely mad, and it's, a, it's trying to take our soul with it. Well, back in January when I felt that the Lord was leading me to 1 Peter for our Wednesday night Bible study, I really had no idea how timely that would be. Our study we have been calling, we've been calling it by the name Embracing the Pilgrim Life, and it's based on the primary text of 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, where Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Well, with that text, you can see how a book like the one I just referenced about getting your life back uh, from this crazy world, you can see how that would be very helpful. But here we are, it's the middle of March, and I got a question. Have you ever felt more like a stranger and pilgrim in the world than right now? You see, the Bible is so necessary to our daily life. But in particular, uh, the, it seems the Lord has given us a focus in this book here of 1 Peter right now, specifically in this time. So we return there this evening for our study. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse number 8. But first, let's pray together. Let's pray for His help. Let's pray for clarity as we study. Let's pray for peace. Let's pray for understanding for his instruction in our soul. So let's pray together. Lord, I pause right now, right here in this studio as we record this Bible study, and I want to pray now, not only for myself as I do this recording, that you would help me to do my very best, but I want to pray for all of our church and for our church family, for all of our families, as we go through this season that we're in right now, Lord, where there is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of, or are, there are a lot of questions, Lord, that, that, are, that there are no answers to right now. But, God, we rejoice that you are the answer. God, you are our peace. And I pray, Lord, for more of that peace. I pray for more of your peace in the hearts and the homes of our church family. I pray, God, that you would help us to know your sustaining grace. Help us to know your wonderful presence. Lord Jesus, you have promised us peace. Not like the world gives, you have given us your peace. And Lord, I pray that we might all receive that peace into our heart and into our home right now. 
and in a time of uncertainty and trouble, Lord, where we truly are strangers and pilgrims in this earth, help that each one of us would embrace this pilgrim life. And let us learn from this Bible study some things that we can live out to be a practical pilgrim in this day that we're living in. Lord, bless your people tonight. Comfort the afflicted. God, heal those that are struggling with some kind of burden or hurt in their heart right now and strengthen our faith for your glory. Lord, fill us with your love. Fill us with your life. And as we study together, fill us with the light of your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read verse number 8 through 16. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. There is so much help in this passage of Scripture. I wish we were together in the sanctuary this evening, but there is, I think, a great sense of connection, I feel, with you just reading these verses, knowing that you're going to be reading them at the same time. And we're going to go through these times together that we're in. We're going to go through some tough times. And it helps to revisit the context of Peter, of what he's writing here, of how he's writing, as he speaks to these believers, not only of his day, but of our own. You see, there is this stark and timely reminder in this letter uh, that as Peter was writing to Christians who he calls strangers scattered, they're strangers because they do not belong to this world. In fact, too often the strangers scattered, <laughs> uh, Christians of our day, uh, we've become comfortable and settled in this present world as if this is all that there is. And I think it's no stretch to say that the days that we are now living in remind us of how fragile life and the world itself really is. Peter's calling these Christians back to a realignment with God's plan and God's pattern of living. And I have been preaching that for the last couple of weeks, the importance of constantly, daily realigning our heart with God. And that's why we're still having the Bible study like this in the best way that we can right now. Because we need to realign our heart with God. The Holy Spirit of God is saying to us today, he's saying embrace the pilgrim life. If you belong to God, hey, you don't fit into this world. So stop expecting to ever feel at home here, uh, to be accepted or to find any sense of belonging and satisfaction in this world, in this temporary existence, because you've been redeemed out of this, even though you reside temporarily in it. But you know there's going to be contention, there's going to be conflict when you're a stranger and a pilgrim living in this world. So these words of Peter are a summons to what I have referred to as a secret life. It's secret to the world of man. 
It's secret to the world of carnality and the flesh. It's secret to the world model of lust and earthly ambition. This is a summons to a higher life, a life that is a real life. It's a life on the plane that God dwells on, a spiritual life. It's more real than the earth you stand on and walk on. Now, we've seen how this pilgrim life is to be lived all the way into chapter 3 here. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at even how it, how it applies to our marriage. But here we pick it up, and, and I'm only going to touch on most of these verses this evening because I want to dial in on that last part. But here we see three thoughts to take away tonight on what I am calling becoming a practical pilgrim. In other words, our pilgrim life, though we are strangers and pilgrims in this world, uh, it still should be practical. It should be practicable. We should be affecting and, and useful. So three thoughts with that. Number one, we see that we are called to be a blessing to the brethren. Verse 8 and 9, we've already read those. You can refer to those again. But Peter deals directly with our Christian behavior towards one another within the church, within the realm of our family of faith. And he gives us five virtues to practice among ourselves. Number one, he gives us the virtue of unity. And we looked at that last Wednesday night for a little while. But unity. In other words, he says to us, let's learn to be agreeable with one another. There's certainly enough division and disunity in our world today. And, and even in a time like this, is a great time for us to come together in this unity and learn to be agreeable around the truth of God's Word. Not that you and I will agree on everything in our individual personal lives, our preferences, but that we must agree on the, the principles of God's Word and what he, how He has called us to live out this life. The second thing he gives us, again, I'm in verse number 8 right now, be ye all of one mind, unity. But then he says, having compassion one of another. Compassion. So don't ignore the sufferings of each other. We're called literally to enter into the suffering of our brother and sister. Now, you can't do that with everybody. But when someone invites you into that place in their life where they're struggling with something in their heart, Somebody calls you, somebody reaches out to you, somebody asks if they can meet you for lunch or coffee, and they want to share something that they're going through in their life. You know, the, 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 the instruction here is, Christian, don't just listen and kind of get through it, you know, hoping you can still make your next appointment, but we're invited to enter into that suffering, to really connect with one another, to have compassion. And the third thing is charity. He says, love as brethren, charity. It, it means, you know, and I, I notice it's placed very strategically between compassion and pity. To really love one another means more than words. It's a matter of deeds. It's a matter of action. And I want to tell you, Jesus helps and he heals and he loves people through people. And so your kindness, your gift, your embrace may be the key to him helping somebody else. So I would say to you, uh, to love, charity, and then sympathy. Sympathy. He says, be pitiful. Now that word pitiful means show sympathy to one another. Have a tender heart toward each other. You know, the world is so calloused and cold and, and decisions and transactions can be so lifeless and inconsiderate. But here in the church, it shouldn't be that way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. This is the instruction Peter's giving us. This is the pilgrim life. This isn't the way of the world, per se, 
but it is the way of the pilgrim. Now, the fifth thing, fifth thing, is courtesy. Notice what he says here, be courteous, be courteous. It means to be polite, to be respectful. You know, it's a shame that, in, that sometimes it seems like in the business world, they often put the church to shame when it comes to old-fashioned courtesy. I mean, you know, you take your hat off in the meeting or indoors, you rise up for an elder, you hold the door for a lady. And, and Christians, we ought to do those things. We ought to hold on to common courtesy and exemplify that. But this goes deeper than just those common courtesies. This takes the Christian into the realm of kindness and long-suffering and forgiveness. How do I know that? Because of verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. And so we are called to something deeper than just the common courtesies. And uh, the Bible gives us more and more of that instruction. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says in verse 29 through 32, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Boy, that we're to use, and this will come up again later, but we're to use our speech to minister grace. I know I give the AP a hard time. I can pick on uh, Pat and Charles, different ones, give them a hard time. And, 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 And we have fun with that. But I tell you, as pilgrims and as strangers in in this world caring for one another, let's use our speech like grace to the hearers. We're to speak things that are comforting and encouraging and edifying. He he goes on to say, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I tell you, that forgiveness is so critical. So may we all learn to be a blessing to the brethren. Now the second thing, the second of three thoughts, here here it is, number two. He tells us live to love life. Live to love life. What do you mean? Well, I'm coming back now to verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days. So this opening phrase is quite an invitation, isn't it? He that will love life and see good days. Well, I'm in on that because that's what I want. I want to love life. So the question is, what do I need to do? Well, besides all the things that we've already looked at in verse 8 and 9, if we're going to love life, because by the way, how we treat others will affect our own heart and wellness. But here he gives us some good counsel uh, in these verses on, on how to love life, how to live life in order to love life. Now, I will say this. Notice what's not listed. Material gain. Not in the list. That doesn't help you love life. Worldly promotion does not help you love life. Fulfilling the American dream does not help you to love life. Now, look, if you're doing well financially, if you're doing well uh, as a, as a, you know, in the job, if you are kind of hitting some of those marks of the American dream, but you're doing so as a believer, faithful, and you're using it to glorify God and help others, man, thank the Lord for that. Praise God for that. But those aren't the things that make you make your life loving or, or help you to love life. So what is? Well, he says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil, and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. So the Bible teaches us that the way to true prosperity is always along the path of spiritual pursuit. Peter's quoting here from Psalm 34. 
And so I want to I go there for just a second, and uh, if you have your Bible, you can look there with us uh, in this passage, but I'm going to read just a portion of this, just highlight to you real quick what Peter is talking about here in Psalm 34. Notice the type of living that he's describing here. Because, again, he's quoting from Psalm 34. So uh, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I, I, I see in this a life of worship. So to love life, to really, to really do well and love your life means to live a life of worship, of praising God, of boasting about God and inviting others into that. Bless the Lord every day of your life. And then it's a life of revelation. Verse 4 through 6 of that psalm talks about, I sought the Lord and he heard me. They looked unto him and were lightened. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. So it's a life of revelation, of learning about God, seeking after the Lord. That's how you're going to love life. It's a life of faith because verse 7 and 10 brings us to that. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Fear the Lord, ye his saints. And so there's this invitation to a life of faith. And then verse 11 through 16, which is where Peter is quoting, where he picks up the psalm, is about a life of reverence. Live your life in obedience to God. He says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then that's where Peter begins to quote this about desiring life and loving days and seeing good. And it's all instruction on living in reverence to God, obedience to his word. So keep your tongue. That can be really hard. Avoid evil. Again, what does Paul say? Abstain from every appearance of evil. And practice holiness. And, and seek after peace. Pursue it. Make it a priority of your life. Don't seek contention. Don't seek conflict. Certainly not in the family and the household of God. There's enough of that in the world. Just seek the peace of God. Uh, now, we ought to do this in our marriage. We ought to do this in our home with our family, our children. We ought to do this in our workplace, and we certainly ought to do this in our church. Romans 14, Paul says in verse 17 and 19, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Now, let's come to the third and final takeaway this evening. We've learned that we're to be a blessing to the brethren. We've learned to live, a, uh, to live our life in order to love life. Well, what's this third thing? Well, he says in verse 13 through 17, make yourself useful to God. Make yourself useful to God. Well, let's read this. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I want to bring it to a close. But I want to also really highlight this well-known passage in this part. Let's start with this. Part of being a practical pilgrim is living your life for the kingdom of God. And not simply for yourself or even for others. It must always be first for God. Look at your life right now. Look at not only at what you're doing, but why you do it. When it comes to work when it comes to serving in the church uh, or raising your family? Are you doing those things first and foremost for the glory of God? Because to really be a practical pilgrim, our life needs to be useful for God. 
So the interpretation of verse 13 is kind of interesting. It can be read this way, show yourself zealous for that which is good. I mean, zealous? Really? That's a, that's a, that's a word uh, that can bring some eye, raise some eyebrows in our day. People shy away from that, don't they? But God wants us to have great zeal for good. Jesus said there's only one that is good, and that is God. And so be zealous to follow after God. Ephesians 5 and 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. For, uh, 3 John 1, 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. So literally this word uh, follower is the word that means to be an imitator of. So be an imitator of good. Be an imitator of God. I'm afraid that instead of zeal in our day, we have more of a lethargy that's going on. We've been, we, we have many who've been found asleep, like the disciples that night in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Paul speaks to this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 and 17, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, wake up to the will of God. So what is it? Now I bring you to that last piece here in verse 15. If there has ever been a fitting time for this verse in our lifetime, it is right now. Right? Every one of us must ask the question, what does God want of me? And there are some definites in this passage. I can tell you from looking at this passage, verse 15, that God wants your whole heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He wants your whole heart. It comes from a Greek word that means to make it holy, to consecrate it. God won't, Now, you look, you don't make God holy. He's saying, I want you to make your heart holy unto me. Dedicate our heart to holiness, uh, to a condition where God is sought after and worshipped and honored and obeyed inside of us daily, daily, and in everything that we're going through and everything that we face and that we're encouraging others in that. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He wants your whole heart. I can tell you this, he wants your witness because he tells us here, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope. Be you know, ready to give your witness for the Lord. God wants that in your life. Use this practical pilgrim life to open the door to witness to others. And I, I really believe that we're living in a time where that's going to become more and more reality. And then the third thing that I would see there that's a definite that he wants for you is he wants your well-doing. Because verse 17 or verse 16 talks about, uh, you know, how that we're to have a good conscience and uh, that they may speak evil of us, but you know, they're going to accuse your good conversation in Christ, the way that you're living. It's better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. God wants your well-doing. I tell you, friends, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And if you'll do this, here's the results of that. Number one, you'll find yourself with fearlessness in an unstable world. You know, and the Bible says, 2 Timothy 1.7, we've talked about this, but God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then I would tell you also that uh, we're going to find if we do this, there'll be a readiness in, a, in our settled heart within. We'll be prepared to serve God. And then I would say to you, if you'll sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you're also going to find usefulness in this evil time. God's going to use you. He's going to use you. He's going to use you at the workplace. He's going to use you in your home. He's going to use you in the church. He's going to use you in the community. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Christian, your heart matters, and your heart is needed right now. 
And God is calling that out of us in this verse of Scripture. I, I, I want to close with this illustration. I've already gone past the time I planned, but that's not surprising to you. Uh, there's a movie, and uh, wouldn't recommend a whole lot of movies on the big, you know, across the board here, but uh, there's a movie called The Last Samurai, and there's a scene in that movie toward the very end where the, 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 the leader of the samurai, Katsumoto, has come to a place where he's tried everything he could do to convince the emperor of Japan to hold to the old ways, to hold to the old paths, if you will. But the emperor has bought into this new age idea. He's bought into these new weapons, this new system of the West, and he's ready to betray everything that they have stood for for, for centuries. And Katsumoto is uh, its the end of the great battle, and he's getting ready to take his own life. And he makes this statement. He says, The emperor could not hear my words. His army will come. For 900 years my ancestors have protected our people. Now I have failed them. And the American soldier by the name of Algren, who's there with him, says, So you will take your own life in shame? Shame for a life of service, discipline, compassion? Katsumoto says, The way of the samurai is not necessary anymore. To which Lieutenant Algren says, Necessary? What could be more necessary? And I close with this thought, Christian. The world will look at you and say, this way of living, the Bible, it's outdated. It's not for our time. It's not necessary anymore. The world's not listening. Some church leaders aren't listening. Your family's not listening. I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and remind you nothing could be more necessary in our day than that we live according to this truth. Let's pray. Father, bless the study of your word. Bless your people. God, give us courage, spiritual courage in this day that we're living in. We need it. We want to honor you. We want our lives to be useful for you. Make us practical pilgrims in the day that we're living in, Lord, until you call us home. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.